Hello, Marvelites! You are listening to Marvel's Pull List for New Comics on sale December 30th, 2020. Tucker, we made it to the finish line! Wow. The trip round the sun. The cosmic journey that we're all on. Speeding through space like the sentinel of the spaceways. Should all acquaintance be forgot? Oh, yeah. Comics... Here they come. That's how the song goes, right? Yeah, that was what I sang that one time on stage at uh, New York Comic Con. It's like we were wrapping up some stream and launched into Auld Lang Syne. Yeah, I think we wrapped up our New York Comic Con stream with a live episode of something with you and I as the host. Great job, us. Yeah. Uh, If you are just joining us on Marvel's Pull List, we're going to talk about some brand new comics out this week. We have... 10 for you. Uh, Then we are going to get into our reading club. As I mentioned last week, our reading clubs for this episode, last episode, and the next episode are all going to be a little wonderful rerun of something that we really liked from this year that we wanted to share with you that'll help us have a little break for the holidays and also shine a little light on something that's really cool that maybe you got excited about because of news from Disney Investor Day or just really great stories we wanted to spotlight again. And so we're rerunning our chat with Kelly Thompson about West Coast Avengers that stars Kate Bishop as Hawkeye and Clint Barton as Hawkeye. So lots of Hawkeye talk and uh, plenty more. We'll get into that in a little bit. But first, we have to give our picks of the week. Tucker, you're up first. All right, let's do this. The first book that I'm covering this week is King in Black, Iron Man, Doctor Doom, number one. Uh, It's written by Christopher Cantwell with art by Salvador LaRocca, colors by Guru EFX, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. That's That's an unusual title for a comic that we might be reading any given week. It's kind of three things in one, and I might add right off the top, it's kind of four things in one because maybe about five, six, seven pages in, what do we see? But we see a symbiote Santa Claus, and that becomes the next element in here. Look, this is really cool stuff happening because... Iron Man has like a new version of his extremist armor that is bonded with a symbiote, which is really, really cool. It's a really interesting idea, the kind of biomechanical element of it all that I'm just so into. And look, at the end of the day, even though this this book, you know, is these two characters that you wouldn't necessarily associate with each other because they're written by Christopher Cantwell, because these are kind of sourced from the two series that Cantwell has been doing just recently wrapped up Doom and of course is still going strong with Iron Man, I'm buying in right away because I just love the way that he writes these characters. I love his takes on these characters and I just love the way that he constructs a narrative in general. This is a wonderful, maybe you could call it holiday aperitif or a uh, little addition to the King of Black action. It's great left field stuff, but somehow combines that with the gravitas of the Iron Man and Doctor Doom that you might expect from Christopher Cantwell. It's, It's a weird, fun issue. Yeah. And throwback shout out to Iron Man number 150. Uh, one of my favorites. It's the the old Iron Man issue in which Iron Man and Doom get thrown back to the time of King Arthur. And, you know, you, you got Morgan Le Fay and uh, you got Doom and, and King Arthur's court. And it's friggin' awesome. And it's classic Iron Man Doom stuff. And look, this issue gives one more chance to read Dr. Doom written by Christopher Cantwell. Truly, yes. The holidays are here. Yeah. Uh, all right. We my 
Pick of the week is X-Men number 16, written by Jonathan Hickman, art by Phil freaking Noto, uh, with letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. This one is cool because it, it feels like Jonathan Hickman saying, hi, this issue, important. Let mm-hmm. me lay this out for you. And it's a big sort of fallout from Ten of Swords. So it's it's got a lot of like business that cover it covers a bunch of ground of things that happened during ten of swords so if you missed out on ten of swords go read ten of swords read all the 20 plus parts of that because you want to know what's going on here we've got these two islands that early in the the run of the x-men comics sort of came together then it became a part of ten of swords and now the islands are communicating and stuff is happening and i'm trying not to give too much away but it feels important. It feels like there's a lot going on here that is key to what is ahead for mutant kind. And now when we say mutant kind, that's more than just the the X-Men and the mutants of Krakoa. It's the mutants of Arako as well. And if out of this, we got a whole book just dedicated to that group, uh, I would be Happy as a clam. Mm-hmm. It would be really good. Uh, this one, it's just cool. Gorgeous art from top to bottom. Giant tree creatures and X-Men shenanigans. It's great. Read it. You know what? Thinking about the other books that we read this week, it feels like a little bit of a kind of the last sketch on an episode of Saturday Night Live, given that we're in the like the last week of the year. Because there's a bunch of really... Which for me, it's usually ends up being like my favorite jokes of any given episode of SNL are like stuck in the back end because mm. they're stranger and they're weird. Like there's a bunch of weird stuff happening this week and I I love it. I love it. I can't <laughs> wait to keep talking about it. Heck yeah. Uh, we've got a lot of strange stuff happening. Is Amazing Spider-Man number 55. We're going to start to give out our pulleys, a.k.a. our little prizes of the week. This one, I'm just going to give it to creepiest creeper in all of Creepland. that goes to kindred who is just i'm trying still to avoid saying his true identity because if you're not reading mm-hmm. amazing spider-man if you or if you're not caught up i don't want to spoil it for you but man this dude is the worst he's such <laughs> a d-bag and it, this is interesting because it throws back to a lot of other spider-man issues and in, in references but it's it's all here on the page for you everything you want and you need to hate this guy is straight there Oh, yeah. My first book that I'm covering this week for our pulleys is Avengers number 40. Uh, This is going to get my pulley for maybe like characters that I I was not expecting to see Jason Aaron write. Uh, It's certainly in an Avengers book and could not be more excited to see pop up in this series. This is Enter the Phoenix part one. So it's the start of a new story arc. Really good place to jump on board. There's so much weird, huge stuff happening here. We're in the Savage Land. We have the influence of the Avengers of Million Years BC. We have the Phoenix Force and Phoenix Force bonding with Captain America in here, which is so wild. And I know that that's a big move, but that's been uh, shown out there before in this issue. And that's really just the start of it all. Javier Grone does the art in here, and it is cacophony realized the entire time, culminating in where I started, where it's just a bunch of characters I never expected to pop up in this series, but I'm so excited to see. Really, really unusual, awesome stuff. And 
you know, that's the creative team to carry it off. Heck yeah. Uh, I'm going to take the next two books first, which is Ghost Rider Return of Vengeance number one. And it gets my 1990s throwback of the week because not only is Vengeance like an epitome of 1990s comics, his name is Vengeance. (laughs) He's like a ghost rider that's just extra plus more. He's like got big old spikes and more protrusions and more leather and more (laughs) fire and he's just friggin so to the extreme and this is written by 1990s ghostwriter creators howard mackie and uh, drawn by javier saltars and so it's really cool you get the original creators working on a character basically this is just saying here's vengeance he's been in hell here's how he gets back into the thick of the marvel universe and it's cool. If you have any, like, you know, if you caught into any bit of Ghost Rider lore, this is going to be right up your alley. All right. From a spirit of vengeance to uh, just some Nightmareville with the King in Black, we've got King in Black, Namor number two. Uh, and this one, we talked about the first issue and how it's, this is a sort of flashback tale. And we know we had King in Black last week, issue number two of that, which gave us a little hint of what Namor is going after and what Namor's part in the overall King of Black story is. This King of Black Namor story is how we get to that point, and it's how the Swift Tide, this really cool, basically like underwater Avengers, become the Black Tide. I'll give this a pulley for Lovecraftian creatures of the week because we get a reference to the great old ones, these giant, massive nasties in the Marvel Universe. Beautiful, beautiful page in this issue by Benjamin Dewey talking about how, like, there's some stuff under the sea that's been around for a very long time, and it is real, real scary. Oh, yeah. All right, next up we have Power Pack number two, and I love the recap page in here and what they've been doing in this series it's katie's power diary by katie power and it's essentially like a crayon drawn four panel like recap of what's gone on recently with the and just the the fact that ryan north is writing this just makes it every single panel so much fun not just there but across the entire issue and i gotta say i guess nico leone who's the artist does that page and that's an entire skill in and of itself wow. of like doing art to look like a child did it because uh, it looks so convincing. It's just yeah. it's just so much fun. But really, that spirit, I think, is imbued in this entire book and this entire series so far. Certainly what I am growing to expect more and more as we go on, which is a certain deconstruction of the book and of what a power pack book might be an embrace of the youthfulness of it, whether that is in terms of how the kids interact with some supporting characters or some villains, or whether that's just how exposition is given across in these pages, which is just so unique. And I think it's daring to kind of create new ground in a way that I think is super bold because of how easy it is to buy into, how easy it is to to understand and uh, at the same time, how mold breaking it is, which is a little bit counterintuitive. But of course, Ryan North being both like a genius person and this fun, youthful mind who just loves silly jokes um, is the person to carry it off. So it is so much fun to read. And 
this is becoming uh, for my you know my pulley talk this is becoming like a an unexpected favorite because i've only had my dalliances with power pack but this is becoming more and more a, a favorite team uh any given month it is so fun heck yeah tucker tell me about shang chi number four shang chi number four what a ride this has been it feels like the energy of this run so far has been so fast paced, but I think so deliberately paced at the same time because we're bouncing between so many different things between the Shang-Chi's personal and family life elements with like some wild mystical and monstrous elements at the same time. It is a really unique experience to read this because we're on issue number four here and I really feel like it feels like just one kind of cohesive story instead of four individual issues. And I think that speaks to Gene Luan Yang's writing and how this has been executed so far because so much has happened so quickly and I'm just fully invested in all of it. Not just with Shang-Chi, but with what's been going on with the supporting cast here as well, which I think is a huge thing in a book like this and something that excites me as much as anything else, which is getting to know these characters, getting to know not just who they are to me as a reader, but who they are to Shang-Chi as a character and continuing to flesh that out and understand that in the story that's being told here is just a delight. And again, another one that is totally unexpected, but uh, something that I'm really enjoying. Heck yeah. All right. My last book of the week is Werewolf by Night number three. This is going to get my pulley for double page spread of the week. The art in this book is great. It's by Scott Eaton. But what Taboo and B. Earl as the writers did is really cool. They are giving a really cool history of the werewolf by night and the mythos in Native American mythology. And it is depicted in this uh, story by Jeffrey Viraji uh, in this double page spread where it's as if Red Wolf has drawn this on a placemat in a diner. And it's this beautifully, immaculately like crafted Native American like pictograph of the story of the werewolf in this culture. And it is, it's gorgeous. And it has like, it, it's a three page sequence, but it, there's these two pages, this double page spread, one of my favorite things this week, hands down. Right there with you. All right. We're wrapping up individual issues this week with Wolverine number eight and what a story it is. This is 350 issues of solo Wolverine stories right here. What a time, what a year to reach that milestone given all of the incredible work that's been happening across the realm of the X-Men and of course in this Wolverine series on its own. Uh, I wanna give my pulley though specifically to colorist Antonio Fabella whose work in here is just beautiful. Uh, look, he's coloring Adam Kubert and Victor Bogdanovich, two incredible artists, but there's almost a little bit of, in terms of tone, in terms of watercolor feeling of Sienkiewicz in certain corners and certain backdrops that I love. There is just something about it that I think just pairs perfectly with Wolverine, the character, and with the story that writer Benjamin Percy is telling where we end up in this issue is just so exciting and you know it reaches one of those moments where we've kind of been waiting for something like this now that we are coming out of Ten of Swords going into Reign of X 
it's a really big question of where's this book going to go? What's happening next with Wolverine, with a big character like this? So as we're slowly getting drip by drip, issue by issue, we're getting into that and exploring that, exploring the story that Ben and company are going to tell. I just couldn't be more excited. It is a series that I think issue by issue continues to up its game and is just so, so great to read. Okay, that's what we have for individual issues on sale this week. And now jumping over to print collections, we got three on offer. I want to, ah, there's there's a couple good ones. We have <laughs> X Factor by Leah Williams, which is a favorite of producer Jorge. We also have Spider-Man Noir, Twilight and Babylon. Uh, and we also have Eternals by Gaiman and Romita Jr. in hardcover. Those are three very different and very unique, very cool print collections. Yeah. Over on the Marvel Unlimited side of things, a ton of great issues this week. We've got the first issue of the new Juggernaut series, which I really love. Uh, Immortal She-Hulk, which is absolutely terrific and then most importantly 10 of swords creation number one get your butts ready hold on tight 10 of swords is now starting in marvel unlimited on top of that we've got some classic 1970s ghostwriter 1970s marvel team-up issues going into marvel unlimited but 10 of swords is here baby soak it up get in there so Uh, exciting yeah, yeah, enjoy that as you start to ring in the new year and then also ring in the new year with our friend Kelly Thompson as we uh, get you in on a little conversation we had with her earlier this year about West Coast Avengers starring Hawkeye's Kate Bishop and Clint Barton. Kelly Thompson, how the heck are you? I am as well as can be expected. <laughs> how about you? Fair, good. Uh, my... My mom took the baby on a road trip today, so it's been like wild, wild. <laughs> Is that baby's first road trip? Uh, no, but she's she's usually not gone for like five hours at a time. I'm okay with it. Everything's fine. We're all fine. <laughs> Everyone's fine here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, boy. Uh, but Kelly. We we asked you to come on the show and say pick a book, whatever you like, a book that you love or a book that you worked on, and you wait chose... a minute, wait a minute, let's just <laughs> like correct things from the start. I thought I was picking an exciting book that I loved, and I made a whole list. And then mm-hmm. in further emails, it was like, hey, why don't we do West Coast Avengers? And I was like, wait, I thought I was supposed to be picking something else. And then it was like, no, you can do either. And then, just so you know, I was like, no, no, I'm, I've am i already put in some work. I'm thinking about what I want to do. Let's do that. But then I looked at my schedule and the Zoom thing we had yesterday. And then it's a really good thing that I changed my mind because my boyfriend ended up in the hospital for 10 days and it's been chaos. Oh, geez. So, yeah. Is he he's okay? All right. oh, God. Okay. Yeah, he's all right. I brought him home Sunday. It wasn't COVID, thank goodness. Anyway, whatever we picked that wasn't my stuff, I was going to have to reread. And I talked to Matt and Ed, and I was like, I should pick something I love, right? And they're like, yeah, don't do your own stuff. Do something else. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and then I was like, no, my schedule says no. <laughs> but honestly, I'm super excited to talk about it. I love it. I don't care what other people think. I love it. And I think it's the best first issue I've written for Marvel Comics yet. So there. Wow. Yeah. And and for listeners, when you offhandedly mentioned that you talked to, quote, Matt and Ed, if I'm not incorrect, 
I believe that those are of the Rosenberg and Brisson varieties. <laughs> they are. Is they that are. correct? What do, what do you guys talk about? What are you guys? Are you guys talking comics all the time? Are you talking everything? I, I'm fascinated by three of my favorite writers just hanging, chatting. What was that we like? We talk every single day. They're my best friends. I love them so much. Um, you know, we we were already really good friends before we did Uncanny uh, X Men. When I got put on that with them, I was so excited. And I was like, oh my God, those are my two comics best, best friends. I'm so happy. And then I can't remember who said it, but someone was like, uh, are you sure you want to work with them on the book then? <laughs> like that can destroy people. <laughs> I was like, what? No, no, that's fine. And honestly, it just brought us closer. I think. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. They're great guys. They're okay. They're all right. I, you know, I like them okay. <laughs> medium, medium I, best. Yeah, I, I love Ed. He, he's a fellow Modoc head, and Matt is is a very good friend. So um, I'm I'm with you on this one. Um, you know, I was thinking about it because Kelly, without giving too much away, you were part of, and I was listening into the big editorial summit download that we had for Marvel Comics this week. You know, I won't say anything about the book, but there was one title that it was said to have a 60-page Bible presented with it in the pitch process. And I was like, I guess I forgot what pitches were like nowadays because <laughs> I also had a conversation with someone recently who said the pitch for a book that they did was literally one sentence. And so I was like, <laughs> wait a minute, what's going on? <laughs> Whose reality is it? Kelly, what was the pitch like for West Coast Avengers? So... The, the idea for doing West Coast Avengers was really before Hawkeye even ended. Sana and I were talking about it, and I felt like with Hawkeye, you know, I had such an incredible team, Leo Romero, Jordi Belair. We it just knew what it was from sort of day one, and we were just really loving it. And so, you know, I think Marvel was really, like, in a very nice way, like, let's try this again with like maybe a bigger cast and like maybe we can bring it in, like what can it be? And so there were talks before Hawkeye when it was sort of, we knew it was ending, but it was still winding down about what could that be? And when we sort of landed on West Coast Avengers, I think it was Sana who said, maybe it should be like, you know, superheroes meet sort of Parks and Rec. And I was like, <laughs> there you go, that's it. Like, that's the thing that I feel like I can drill into that I really love, like a, like a mockumentary style, this comedy book. They can go on these crazy weird adventures that are sort of West Coast Avengers and maybe next wave style, like wackiness to them. And so that was when Sana said that, which so maybe that goes a little bit to your one line thing. Like she hooked me with that one line and then people were really responding to that like this idea that they didn't have funding and that that was creating these problems for them and that they weren't, you know, they didn't have unlimited access to everything the way the Avengers did. But, you know, there was so much back and forth. There was a lot of arguing about who the characters should be and like how it would all fit together. And it was honestly, it was um, a really great advocation for the, the Marvel summits and like what it can do sometimes to really be, like you can do a lot of stuff all spread across the country via email and calls and whatever. But there is there is a, a benefit to being in the same room sometimes. And it was only when Tom, Alana, and I were sitting in the same room that it finally clicked for me 
sort of like what I wanted had been sort of in opposition to some things they wanted. And I sort of couldn't see their side of it. Like I couldn't quite get the picture to understand like how we were missing each other, sort of ships passing in the night kind of thing. And it was when we sat down and talked about it then that I finally got like a little bit what they were going for with some of the characters and stuff. And it clicked for me and I was like, okay, now I know how to write it. I was like, I got it. I got it. And they're like, great, because it's really the last minute at this point. Like, you don't have to hurry. I'm like, I know. I know. I'll write it as soon as I get home. But, like, it took that. You know, like, Gwen was a big question mark for me because even though I think the character is fantastic and they really wanted her in there because she's got this wackiness and she's this real fan favorite that's got this great fan base. To me, looking at the character, I was like, I don't really see how she works in a team setting and that ended up being the trick for me and one of the things that I regret about where we ended is just I didn't get to continue exploring this to its fullness but you know the idea for Gwen fitting in this role sort of became it doesn't work for her to be on a team and once she's not the star she doesn't have as much control of the narrative and I was like now that's really interesting like that's something we can play with that's something we can get into. So like, there were a lot of like, really little magical sort of things happening as we were putting it together. And it was really exciting. It was scary too, but it was exciting. I really, under, I really totally, it strikes a chord with me when you talk about how you had some questions about incorporating a character like when pull into a team book. Um, and we've heard, you know, different writers talk about this, uh, about this dynamic, not just with Gwen Poole, but with a bunch of different characters between writing a solo comic versus writing a team comic. Um, we've heard Donnie talk about it. We've heard a bunch of different people talk about how it has different challenges. Could you talk a little bit about, in your eyes, what the... Um, what skills are kind of needed for those two different books or if it's even that different if it's more just a a, a mindset shift i think it is a it is a big difference because you know if you look at let's use captain marvel as an example because that's a solo book that i've been writing for a long time now and that people really seem to be into and i try really hard i'm really interested especially when it comes to female characters in like power sharing and sort of sisterhood. And so I tend to like to bring in other characters and have Carol both rely on them and trust them and also be generous with her own power. But at the end of the day, that book is still called Captain Marvel. You want to see Carol solving the problem. But when you're doing something like West Coast Avengers, that has to be a more genuine sharing of the role. I mean, our book was certainly led by Kate and we had Clint there as sort of a guiding force too. But if you're not distributing some equality among those people, I think readers feel sort of ripped off a little bit. And I don't know that they're wrong. Like one of my biggest regrets because we ended so early on West Coast Avengers is that I was trying to do a really slow burn on the sort of America Ramon relationship and because of that, I just barely got them together and then we didn't really get to explore it. And so if I had had the gift of hindsight, I would have pushed that sooner um, so that we could make sure to really spend more time with it and like help get fans really anchored to the idea before we had to leave it. I hadn't been planning on the Gwen and Quentin thing. It just sort of happened with one of those magical things where the characters were just sort of the way they were connecting on the page was like really fun. And so that became this, this B or C plot line. 
And because of that, it took me longer to get to the America stuff. And that's a great example of sort of, you have to make those choices. And so I'm not saying I did the wrong thing, but in retrospect, knowing what I know now, I would definitely go back and like rebalance that so that I could do it earlier. Uh, well, let's actually talk about the characters in West Coast Avengers because it is a team book and there's a bunch of characters here. Uh, you mentioned that this does follow the book, the Hawkeye book that you did and some of the characters uh, came out of that. So let's run down the, the team a little bit. So we have Kate Bishop. Um, what do you love about Kate? Oh, gosh. I think I love <laughs> everything about Kate. Uh, that would be a shorter list of what I don't like. But the thing I like most about her is, you know, People talk a lot about the things about she and Clint Barton that are different, but I'm more interested in the things about them that are the same. Like they sort of never give up, even when it's ridiculous, even when it's stupid, but like always covered in bandages. Like what, what kind of person is it that's like, no, I'm, I have no superpowers and I'm completely vulnerable, but I'll just stand next to, you know, Iron Man and Captain America and fire my arrows. Like, what, it, what does it take to be that kind of person inside, to be that vulnerable and still be that heroic that you're like, nah, it's fine. It's fine. Me and some arrows <laughs> against like a planet eating threat. It's okay. <laughs> and, and then they're successful. They're so great at it. So I love them. I love that about them. Uh, so we, we have the two Hawkeyes. And, and in this read through, I don't know. Tucker, I don't know what you like. There's many things to like connect to in additional read-throughs of a book. For me, it was like, man, I love the way you write Clint, Kelly. Like, I of course love your Kate and your America, but I was like, man, I could read a whole just Clint book by you and be happy. Although I would want all the other characters too. But I was like, <laughs> man, your Clint is so like, I don't know. I think that what I what I was like putting dishes away this morning. I was like this is my platonic ideal of a superhero book. <laughs> this has everything. And it's, it was great. It was, it was a lot of fun. I think, I think we're in like a, a golden age of quietly amazing Clint Barton stories between this, between Hawkeye Freefall. I'm sure there's a couple other ones in there. It's just like under the radar. If you know, you know that these are like, you know, top tier, yeah. top tier stories. I I would love to write a Clint Barton Hawkeye book, but honestly, Matt and Otto killed it so hard on Hawkeye Freefall. I just love it. It's it's funny when I read Matt's Hawkeye, it's like it feels perfectly Clint Barton to me, and I can hear it. I can like also sort of hear Matt like under it <laughs> a little bit because I know him so well. Oh, I love it. It just warms the the, the dead cockles of my heart. <laughs> uh, you mentioned America Chavez a little bit about her being so powerful. Is that does that present any problems for you as a writer? It does for me. That's definitely a weakness for me. Working with Carol for so long has helped a lot because she's incredibly powered. But when you're working with a character that's just got so much power, it's like sometimes, I don't know, I feel like someone like Al Ewing is such like a good cosmic writer. You throw powers at him and he's like, yes, let me reinvent the world with those powers. And for me, I'm like, really? Can they be more like Hawkeye? And they're not geniuses and they're not great at everything because that's a little more in my wheelhouse. <laughs> but the, the street level thing comes a little more naturally to me. 
Um, and particularly when you put someone like America, who's got so much power on a sort of unbalanced team like West Coast Avengers. I mean, I, I don't think it's a bad idea because I think it creates those interesting conflicts and the challenges for me as a writer, hopefully I can rise up to meet them. But yeah, she's so powerful. Like it's, it's hard to even comprehend. I mean, when you're talking about things like you can teleport anywhere in the galaxy and then your friends got bow and arrows, but so you try and lean into that stuff, right. Instead of run away from it. And most of the time it works and sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> uh, we have Johnny, AKA fuse, who is Kate's uh, boyfriend who has, cool power of like the like absorption of materials and like who, was your idea to give him the um the the piercings that were vibranium yes yeah I love and that. i saw people complaining about those those piercings before we revealed that they were vibranium and that that was what he was using them for first of all those piercings look rad so i don't know why people are complaining about them Second of all, I've never like yelled at my laptop screen more than I saw people complaining and I wanted to be like, you just wait, you're going to be wrong. (laughs) Um, So yeah, that was, I loved that. And I was glad we at least got to do a little bit of the origin showing that their mother was from, uh, was from Wakanda and that that's maybe how he got his hands on vibranium. So but yeah, I thought that the the piercings was a particularly clever way for someone who's got that power to to keep himself uh, connected at all times, right? Yeah. Uh, and when you were, you know, speaking of, uh, we would also mention Ramon, who sort of joins the team by the end of the book. Was her was that always your plan for her as well, and getting these that really cool look? Um, well, I mean, obviously, I have to credit artists on like the actual pulling off of it. Um, I. I think it turned out super cool. I did want to me, I, I know some people are going to have issue with this because I'm, I'm sure there are people out there who love this, but to me, the quickest way to make sure a character is not going to stick is to not give them powers. And so I felt like Ramon's fate was sealed uh, as Kate's best friend at, or one of Kate's best friends as America's potential love interest if she didn't have powers, she wasn't going to last. Um, there's a long line of human casualties, and I don't mean they're dead. I just mean they disappear into obscurity. And I don't even, I don't even think there's anything wrong with that. Like we're telling superhero stories, and so I felt it was really important that that Ramon have powers if we wanted to really see her go the distance. And and for other writers who came after us to see the potential to use her for something, and I I do love something a lot about a brother and sister who have powers that are sort of related but different like I love all that stuff but I wanted to there to be good reason for her to have not done this before in her life and to give her that great heroic moment of like even though I'm afraid of this and I've been avoiding it my whole life the people the most important things in my life are now in jeopardy and so I'm making this choice and I thought it ended up being really even though there wasn't a lot of time I I was really proud of where we ended up there uh, and let's round up the cast because we, we talked about Gwenpool a bit and you know how cool she is. Uh, but on the flip side of Gwenpool is Quentin Quire, who is such a like a wild card on this team that I, I just love. Why Quentin? Uh, I think that was Alana. I think Alana, we were talking about cool characters that were available that might be interesting and that were sort of fit our sort of wacky team. 
And so the, the challenge there was, A, like America, he's incredibly powerful, so you got to deal with that. So you've got these sort of unpowered people, and then you've got a new guy who's got great powers but doesn't know how to use them yet, and then you've got Gwenpool whose powers are a question mark, and then you've got these two super powerful, like Omega level characters, right? So that was a problem, and also how did we get him on there? Like why on earth would he agree to work with these guys? We know he's gonna complain about it all the time, so like what are we gonna do? And so that was how, we got in there with like the TV angle and like they sort of need each other, even though they, you know, he wants to be a star still, he wants to do this thing. He's not allowed to do it on his own basically. So that was sort of how we got that in. One of the great things was that in that first issue, you know, Stefano is such an incredible artist, but he had drawn Quentin with like this sweater vest. And I think it was Alana that was like, why don't we just knit the saying into the sweater vest? I was like, I can't love that more. <laughs> So it was really fun. We were having a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, we, of course, see Lucky, the the dog that uh, is with Kate. People are like, where's Lucky? Every issue asking me until I brought him in. I'm like, fine. Here he is. We did it. Everyone be quiet now. <laughs> All right. So you, you say that with the, that tone there. But now you also introduce Jeff the Landshark. And I think from now on, if you don't have Jeff in a book, people are going to be like, Where's mm -hmm. Jeff? Mm -hmm. Listen, Lucky taught me the lesson. People get super attached to those pets. Um, I love Lucky. He's incredible. I love dogs. They're incredible. And Jeff really came about because one of the land sharks that Stefano drew in the first issue looks very concerned. It looks very concerned to be a land shark and to be on land having to attack things. Uh, and... I, it just got me thinking about what are these land sharks thinking? Like, it's not really their fault. And so it was that combined with, I have these two amazing cats. And so to me, Jeff is sort of a cat and a land and this concerned land shark. Um, it, it, I, I should note just for, for, for the people who really care about these things, the concerned land shark is not actually Jeff because that's much larger than Jeff. But that was the impetus for the idea of how Jeff came to be born. One of the greatest things ever was, was when I was realized that there was this perfect opportunity to bring him into Deadpool and how much fun could we have with that. And gosh, it's turned out so great. And man, he's really exploded. He got it as an action figure. He's only been live for like a year and he got his action figure. It's crazy. I have him in a box uh, in, in, in the house. So. <laughs> I ordered it. I haven't gotten it yet, though. Um, before, sorry, Tucker. I know I keep uh, saying things, but um, I want to make sure I understand this correctly. The land sharks were created by Modoc. Is that yes. correct? Well, so, Brodoc. Well, Brodoc. Technically. Sure. Same thing. So one of the fans' favorite creations in the last couple of years is a result of the greatest character of all time, Modoc. I just want to make sure everybody who listens understands correct. that that's true. 100% <laughs> correct. I also love Modoc. Yeah. I mean, that's how you end up with Brodoc. It's because you love Modoc. And then Alana is hilarious and helps you create a guy with... My favorite part of that design is that his head is still slightly big. Oh, it's so good. So good. Right? Oh. When, when Steveno turned it in, I was like, yes, he nailed it. <laughs> I was like, I'm so glad I can use this joke about like, did he still make his head slightly big? Like, what is that about? <laughs> Um, the, you know, speaking of Alana, I actually wanted to ask about Alana specifically, but 
as we were running down the characters, um, I when I was opening up the issue one, when I was going back to to read, I just I just love this solicit text. I, I, you know, we don't spend a lot of time talking about solicit text, and probably rightly so on the show, but it's so good, and, and uh, it just says a new era dawns. Hawkeye, Kate Bishop. Hawkeye, Clint Barton. A guy named Fuse. Never have they ever been called the big three of anything. <laughs> and here they are, reunited for, okay, well, only the second time ever. It's so good. And it just immediately like made me just so excited to dig back into the humor of this. But speaking of Alana and speaking of, so let's take all the kind of editorial responsibilities and things like that. Could you talk just about working with Alana? You know, I, I for me, we never get the chance to talk about the editorial staff enough. And uh, I think Alana is just a star. It's Alana Smith. Sure Alana Smith. Yes, Alana yes, Smith. yes. Oh, make sure everyone knows. Yeah. Uh, Alana's great. I, you know, I've done, I would say, I think my Jessica Jones runs are sort of the strongest work I've ever done for Marvel. Combining that with uh, what I think is the best first issue I ever did for Marvel, i.e. West Coast Avengers number one, I think Alana is a great editor for me. I think she brings out some of the best in me. She's amazing. She's amazing. And especially because on West Coast Avengers, it was such a trial to get to that first point. There was such a push and a pull. She was such, she was so gentle with me about, you know, we were sending back all these big long lists of characters and like classic characters and new characters and like finding that balance. I mean, really, it was a very long process on this book of like getting the mix right. But you know, she was always so she was always so good about it. Like she was she's up for anything. And even when she was pushing characters on me like Quentin and Gwenpool, because she thought, you know, because she rightly thought these characters help the book because we're gonna need every bit of, you know, excitement we can get because we're doing this book that is perfect for some people, but there are other people who want a West Coast Avengers book to be something else. So we're gonna need all the help we can get. And um you know, she was just so great in sort of finding that balance, um, you know, for every writer between what they need to be doing and what they want to be doing. Mm. I think that's one of the hallmarks of a great editor is being able to find that balance to create the best book. You know, I, I talk about this thing sometimes where like, I feel like if you read comics enough, you can flip through a book and instantly get a sense of maybe not the fine points of its qualities, but its quality in general. I think you can instantly get a sense of the rhythm of what the writer is doing in terms of maybe the character's placement in the larger story and when you're hitting character beats, when you're hitting big dramatic beats. And this issue just is a masterclass, uh, in my opinion, of pacing and rhythm because uh, we open up in, uh, you know, with Clint and just one instantly. Stefano is, he's incredible because he's like, he can do, uh, he does like Avengers and Marauders and like these crazy stories now that are like the biggest, most intense um, uh, kind of action packed stories. Incredible. 
But he's also so funny. There's just these little moments packed into every single panel of amazing acting that is hilarious. And it's these little quiet moments. It's so impressive. But from there, we go straight into um, the whole Landshark sequence, um, which is like your kind of get to know the team. Like, all right, everybody get in here kind of moment. And it's so, so good. Um, when you're writing when you're writing this issue, it's 30 pages. Um, do you know, like, all right, we're starting here and we need to, you know, check all these boxes. We need to do the intros. We need to do this. We need to do this. We need to introduce the big villain. Um, do you find yourself uh, self-editing a lot, knowing that there's so much to do? Or is that kind of uh, uh, just a fun playground for you to um, set up these beats and, 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 and dig into it? Well, honestly, I'm a huge fan of 30 pages for a first issue. To me, every issue, you know, the challenge for, for, for writers is to create these things that really don't go together, right? Which is you want an arc that reads smoothly and that feels like one cohesive story, but you also need the individual pieces to have their own internal arcs of rising and falling action and ideally a sort of hooky cliffhanger at the end to make sure people come back for the next issue. And those things are opposed. So finding the way to make them fit in the best possible <laughs> like combination is a real is a real art. But there's also just formula to that. And you know the formula helps you, but you also have to sort of know when to break out of it. I think in West Coast One, the the 30 pages really saved our lives because we wanted to get the whole team together in the first issue. We wanted, to, I wanted two action scenes because I knew I wanted the land shark set piece as like an opening thing to like really get us right into the action. But then we also needed a, the whole team came together and here's the actual threat we're dealing with. And yes, it's connected to the first threat, but whatever. So we needed all of that. But we also needed really a good introduction to these characters above and beyond just getting them into the book. It's like, what can they do? What's the dynamic here? We also had to set up this, you know, TV show. We had to set up this mockumentary style, which to me, I, you know, I don't want all comics using that because it will be overused very quickly, but it's honestly shocking that more don't find a way to use that interview scenario because it is such a great insight into character and also comedy, uh, but you could make it tragedy as well because you've got that sort of disarming interview scenario, but then you don't have to just be in characters' heads all the time with their caption, which in a team book, I hate that. But the, the mockumentary allows you to have that one-on-one -on -one time with those characters where you can get inside their heads and see what's making them tick without having to do it in caption boxes. And so we had a lot of demands and I feel like I, this is why I think it's the best first issue I've ever written because I feel like we met all those formula demands that we needed to meet, but we still got to have like a four page spread of Kate interviewing losers we're maybe never going to see again. <laughs> and so we like I, that issue more than any other to me feels like we had our cake and we got to eat it too. Like we got both the best of both worlds. And a lot of that goes down to um, Triona and Stefano uh, just really being incredible you know the amount of love i get for that book though of people who found it later 
is very, very sweet, but also sort of heartbreaking because they're like, why didn't I know about this book? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> like I, all I did was talk about it for months. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you, you know, but I don't know. There's something, there's something wonderful about finding a comic you didn't know existed though. Right. Like, and just loving it. Like that's, that's good too. Yeah. I, you know, we, we know that a lot of our listeners will come to find books because of, we talk about them here and I, Tucker and I have both come to books for the first time because of conversations we've had with creators, you know, in, on the show or whatever. So it's, however they come to it, you know, eventually they'll come to it. And it's, there's, there's something very sweet about that. And I also think, you know, while we were in the retreat recently and there were, somebody was talking about, well, what do we get out of this story? And that idea of like, you tell these stories and they're great, but what, what do you add to the Marvel universe as opposed to killing someone or doing something and taking away? And I look at a book like this and I think this adds so much. It, it, it adds this, one, you've got land sharks, then you've got Jeff the land shark, then you've got this wild different opportunity of, of like, someone could come back to Brodock if they wanted to at some point. You've got that. You've got, you know, like the growing of Tigra, which I think is such a, a cool way to like expand on her. You've got the, you know, uh, fuse and, and alloy and you've like, there's so much added to the Marvel Bridget universe. Bridget the dragon. Bridget, yeah, I was just looking at a panel of her. Like there's a dragon that's a woman that's flying around Los Angeles living her best life. Yeah. God, someone used it. <laughs> yeah, and like you even see her pop in, like her eyes in the in the window at the end of the the series. It's like the the if nothing else, legacy of this book is adding to the Marvel universe and adding to the tapestry, and in such wonderful oh, ways. That uh, means a lot. Thank you. And I, yeah, you're welcome. We mean it. We like genuinely. I was so happy to to be able to revisit this and, and get to talk to you about it. So it's it's great for us, <laughs> but we are running out of time with you. Um, one thing I want to know is what was the book that you would have talked about had we talked about something yeah. you Ooh. loved? Um, I had narrowed it. There were a lot of things on my list, including talking about maybe the early, the original Alias stuff. Um, but I think I was going to talk about, because maybe it's a little bit of a swerve, but also fitting for West Coast Avengers in a weird way. Um, I was going to talk about the Alan Davis written, drawn Excalibur run. Ooh. Like 24 issues or something in there. I love that stuff so much. And honestly, it's not, when you think about West Coast Avengers, like you can see that. You can see that I was a teenager who loved that wacky, weird, like what's weirder than TechNet? Like what? <laughs> and that TechNet story that I'm thinking about starts with them getting blown up by a little duck that comes out of an egg like it's crazy it's just the weirdest stuff i love it it's, i love it's it so very strange uh, one of there's an excalibur issue in that run i don't remember what number it might be like 56 or something where it's got the x-men on the cover and they're like talking to it's it's like breaking the fourth wall it's really silly mm -hmm. and uh over the top and i is one of the first like comics i got when i like really started to think about comics and yeah that that book has a place in my heart you know maybe when your schedule allows we'll have you come back and we can talk about it i'd love to oh I'd yeah i'll always come back to you guys yeah <laughs> we try we have a good time <laughs> kelly thank you so much thank you kelly thanks so much for having me on guys i had a great time 
Thanks again to Kelly. What an incredible person to talk to. What an incredible writer to read. Uh, if you go check out West Coast Avengers, I would also highly recommend Kelly's run on Hawkeye, which is from 2016 to 2018. Kelly and Leonardo Romero, just some of the best Kate Bishop comics you'll ever read. Uh, there is nobody that can do it like Kelly. So fun. Uh, 100% well said, Tucker. This episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by Ryan Panagos, Tucker Marcus, Jorge Estrada, MR Daniel, with help from Megan Bagala. Jill DeBoff is our director of audio, and Brad Barton is Marvel's Pull List audio development manager. And you know, he's always wanted to be a Hawkeye, but he has no talent. Wrong Barton. For shooting arrows. He's a very talented man. <laughs> Brad, happy new year. <laughs> Bye, everybody. That's yeah. it. Happy new year. I'm Ryan. I'm Tucker. This is Marvel. Your universe. Oh, God, I'm a terrible singer. <laughs>